When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Out of the Woods. My name is Justin, and his name is Matthew. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, I can't think how that bit never changes. You're never going to say that your name is Gerald one episode, although maybe you will. Yeah. I probably not. P. Winterbottom the third. Anyway, and this is Out of the Woods, a Yellow Jackets podcast, focusing, as the title might imply, on Showtime's Yellow Jackets. And oh boy, do we have an episode for you this evening. But before we get into that, Matthew, how are you feeling? Oh, yeah, not bad. How are you feeling? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Uh, just had a fairly pleasant, low-stress day. Played some God of War in anticipation for the new one coming out. Really, really great game. Ragnarok, yeah? Yeah, yeah, those Valkyrie boss battles, man, they are pretty tough. Good fun. We just uh, had some nice cheesy garlic bread, so that was good. Mm. And yeah, and we are both feeling pretty refreshed and ready to get into tonight's episode. Which is, spoiler alert... A really good episode with a lot to talk about. And, and spoiler alert, not a spoiler-free podcast. No, yeah, and thank you for thank you for getting on that. Thank you for getting on that. This is not, repeat not, a spoiler-free podcast. The whole season is fair game for us to talk about. You have been warned. And just before we get into the episode, uh, did you hear that the show got nominated for a bunch of Emmys? No, I did not. Yeah, like Best Drama Series. And uh, Melanie Linsky and Christina Ricci were nominated for Best Leading Actress and Best Supporting Actress, respectively. So it's good. Good to see the show get some attention. I would have liked to see Tawny, Cypress, and Juliette Lewis also nominated because they're also amazing. But, you know, let's not get greedy here. I'm sure they'll have their, have their time to be nominated for Cool Shirt as well. Yeah. It's just nice to see that other people appreciate the show that we appreciate. I'm not a big awards guy. I like, if something I like wins an award, it's like, okay, cool. But I, I don't, like, religiously follow them or anything. But it's just... It's just nice to know that it's getting some recognition. Me neither. I feel like they should just give you a toasted sandwich or something. At least it's useful. <laughs> Good job, guys. Here's a toasty. That should be a thing. That should be a thing we do. Hand out the toasty awards. Yeah, that'd be great. Toasty Hold TV on. awards. Um, <laughs> wow, that takes me back. Toasty TV, where are you today? Oh no, <laughs> that was roller coaster before roller coaster. <laughs> Episode seven. No Compass, which is a great fucking title. It's really good. Written by Ashley Lyle, Bart Nickerson, and Catherine Kearns. Directed yet again by Ava Sorhog. And let me just start by saying, this episode emotionally fucking destroyed me when I watched it the first time. Aww. And uh, we'll get to why. And if you know what happens in this episode, and you've listened to this before, you probably already know why. This was the first episode you, Matthew, ever saw. Yeah, yeah, I saw uh, bits of it. Yes, yes. So, basically, this was Boxing Day or the day after Boxing Day, I can't remember, and you hadn't started watching the show yet, and I was still watching it as it came out, and you were, like, wanting to hang at my old place, so I was on the bus over to your place watching it on my laptop, yeah, frenziedly, like... and I was like, oh, Matthew, could we maybe watch the last 15 minutes of this show you haven't seen? And you, being a gracious and lovely soul, acquiesced to that. 
I'm very flexible. And the internet kept fucking up, so it took twice as long as it would have taken. <laughs> and yeah. then we saw the end of this episode, where a certain character appears to die horrifically, and I was just in a legitimate state of inconsolable grief after that. It's a spoiler-free podcast. No. Just, you could just say who it is. Yeah, yeah, it's it's Van, and she doesn't actually die. But I didn't know that at the time, because, and we'll get into this, it extremely fucking looks like she died. And it looks she was, like she died. And she was my favourite character, and I was like, no. Yeah, and then, you, you were in a state of emotional uh, I was hell, positively so inconsolable. And you were a <laughs> person with a greater sense of perspective about such things than I. So Just you basically telling you to man up. Quite. <laughs> you tend to find it's weird when I'm profoundly emotionally affected by fictional characters that but don't exist. But that's just because I'm terribly desensitized to all sorts of horrific shit. Yeah, there's a, you know, you can put a, a positive and a negative spin on anything. <laughs> so yeah, after we watched that episode, we watched the movie's Jacob's Ladder. Which Great movie. I, I enjoyed. Movie. I liked uh, George Constanza in that movie. Again, <laughs> I was too busy being sad to pay that much attention to it, but I should probably give that a rewatch. And then we watched the movie Progeny, which even in my semi-paying attention state, I could tell was fucking horrible. Yeah, no, it's one of those movies that has like a couple of expanses of like, say, 10 minutes that are like, you know, really fucking kind of cool. Yeah. The rest of it's just awful. Not a good you know, film. Just, just really quite execrable. Anyway, anyway. Enough of that. Let us get into this episode. Note, in the previous episode I said that Misty would be the person you should go to about mushrooms. Actually, I should give Akila credit. She knows what mushrooms do things, so she would be the person you would go to to get some mushroom abortificants. So yeah, shout out to Akila. Particularly in future, actually. Anyway. Did you look up whether uh, mushroom abortificants actually exist? Would have been good. Hey, would have been a good thing for me to have done. Ah, oh, well. But I didn't. We, we can just pretend that they do exist and continue on as, as if nothing happened. With the magic of self-belief. Yeah. Anyway, we open on some bleak strings music playing as we see Ty up in the tree in the present, where the last episode ended. She gets down, breathing heavily, and staggers inside. It's a very bleak and overbearing scene that is really good at setting a dark mood. She washes her hands, scrubs thoroughly, she disinfects the cut, you know, pouring the alcohol on it. Ugh. You ever done that, Matthew? Yeah, I've done things like that. Oh, it's, it's painful, isn't it? Ugh, yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. And bandages her own hand. She's a big believer in self-reliance, as she says in previous episodes. The whole thing is silent, and it really adds to the, the tension and the overpowering, overbearing nature of the scene. Uh, she receives receives a text from Nat, another text telling her to hurry the fuck up to their meeting. It's like, shoot her a message, Big T. You know, don't don't be a no call no show. Like if you're gonna be late to something, you gotta send him a text. You know, don't just don't just keep on washing your hand cut. But you know, I suppose she has other things to worry about other than social niceties. Mm. Anyway, we cut back to the past, and Van is saying, "Ty, everyone thinks this is a bad idea," and she responds, "We have to do something. We're starving. There's nothing to hunt." The characters are all sitting around outside on the fire pit, debating the best course of action. Misty offers that the animals might be migrating, and Ty jumps in and says, like, yeah, yeah, that's why the only game we've seen for weeks is that one sick deer. And then she talks about how it's just going to keep getting colder, and not, oh, I'd better put on a coat cold. We're talking dying feels like falling asleep cold. Hmm. How interesting. Yeah. shadowing even indeed uh ty definitely had this whole speech prepared ahead of time like that's not off the cuff she, she was just waiting for an opportunity to use it like you can't just picture her sitting awake at night up in the attic being like hmm, dying feels like falling asleep that's good that's good write that down write that down 
If Ty is not in the Wiskayokai debating club, I will eat my imaginary hat. Just practicing for a future career. <laughs> she probably already had the... Punchy, punchy, love it. <laughs> this is a very unflattering comparison, so I'm sorry, Ty, but somebody once wrote about the US presidential candidate Ted Cruz. He's probably been planning how he would win at a contested convention since he was 16 years old. <laughs> and I think the same probably applies to Ty, except even earlier. She was probably in preschool being like, and then I'll get nominated to the Supreme Court, and then... <laughs> Soon I'll be the President of the United States Shopping Association. <laughs> Laura Lee asks, what do you think, Lottie? Because, as established in the previous episode, she believes in the validity of Lottie's visions, but she doesn't really take the serve and just says, I don't know. You know, and the conversation moves along. And Ty says, anyone who wants to come with me is welcome but I'm going. Now, let me just sort of ask you, do you think this is a good plan? Because on the one hand, there's a lot of potential risks. On the other hand, she's basically correct. They are kind of fucked if she doesn't do anything. Yeah, I don't think rescue's coming. No. You know, they've got to kind of save themselves. So. No, so it's the sort of thing where, to quote, unfortunately, Jon Snow from Game of Thrones, ah, oh, it's a bad plan. What's your plan? <laughs> a plan's better than no plan. God, I hate that episode. Moving on. And Akila says, you're going to want to take stuff with you, right? Like food and supplies? That's not up to you. And Shauna says, well, you can't just send her out there with nothing. And Van is increasingly frustrated by this because she, you know, really cares about Ty and doesn't want her to risk her life. And she's like, this is insane. We don't know where we are, just that we're surrounded by big-ass mountains. I mean, what are you now, Edmund fucking Hillary? <laughs> Liv shouting out their fellow Antipodean. Good job. Mari's just like, who? <laughs> I loved. If you also like Mari, well, like who, which makes sense because he's more famous in the Australia NZ region, Edmund Hillary was the first European guy to climb Mount Everest. And Ty, in defense of her plan, says, We're not on an island. If we go south, we've got to run into something eventually a road, a town, anything. And then Nat interjects for the first time, saying, No, you can't take the rifle. I'm all for what you're trying to do, Ty, but the gun has to say. I love this scene overall, but that introduction felt a little out of place, but regardless. Ty says she'll take things that they don't use every day. An axe. Oh, the compass. And then Jackie offers that there is a flare in the dead guy's plane. And then Van turns to her and says, don't tell me that you, of all people, are on board with this. And Jackie says what she's saying makes sense. And if she's willing to go, then, yeah. Jackie's probably like, a chance for everybody to be mad at someone other than me for a change? Fuck yeah! This is a great plan! Because from her perspective, it's like, either this works and we get rescued, which is great, or it doesn't work and everybody's mad at her, not me, so win-win. Yeah. Win fucking win. Everything's coming up, Jackie. It's like we don't freeze to death. Not a, not a frequently said phrase in this show. <laughs> and then Laura Lee says, what if you're wrong? What if there's just nothing? And Ty's like, I don't know. And Lottie's like, you do know. And she does know, because she says, yeah, if I'm wrong, I'll die out there. And then she simply says, I'm leaving in an hour, and strolls off dramatically. Great, great, great beginning to the episode. As I said in the previous one, ideally they would have been going on like shorter expeditionary walks for a while to get the lay of the land, but having they, they haven't been doing that, and apparently they still refuse to make some kind of signal fire, this is their best option remaining. So yeah, Great beginning to an episode. Maybe one of the best pre-credits cold opens of the show. It's just really like, shit's getting real. We're ratcheting up. But in your mind, you're like, they're still out here for another like 17 months. So you know this doesn't work. 
Yeah. But you're just waiting to see how it doesn't work. Anyway, cut to credits. And after they end, we see a rather beautiful shot of a tree bathed in sunlight. And we pan down to Laura Lee and Lottie crouched over the fucked up burned deer. Ugh, imagine the smell. Mm. And initially I was like, why would you burn the deer? But then it makes sense because you don't want to attract predators. Or I guess if they're really desperate, they could try Yeah, hey, and... uh, cook their dinner for them. That'll keep them away. <laughs> no, but if it's like fully burned out, then... Would they? I don't know. Look... As we have, I think, established by this point, I am not an expert on wilderness etiquette, so maybe that's the smart thing to do, maybe it isn't. If you know more than I, which is not exactly difficult, please write in. Laura Lee asks Lottie, why didn't you tell them about your dream? And Lottie says she wouldn't have listened, which is very true. Ty would have been like, dismissive fart noises. (laughs) You had a dream about something. It's a load of arse. (laughs) Anyway, uh, that's exactly how she would be. Lottie! Prize a bone from the spine region of the deer, saying that it did not burn at all. How interesting. The song Space by Amber Mark plays as Ty dramatically cuts her hair in front of the outdoor mirror. Not a song from the 90s, but whatever, anachronisms are cool. Ty looks really cool as she does so. She almost, oh, I talked about this episode. She almost gives herself a cool mullet. You should have stopped there. It would have looked so good. Yeah, like it's the 90s. The mullet ain't dead yet. Yes, you would have looked like some some badass chick with piercings at a skunk Anansi concert. Yeah, it's like you're in the woods. It's not like you have to worry about being put on the social media that doesn't even really exist yet. Man, that would be, oh. What would the Yellow Jacket social media be like? Those that survived long enough. Cringy. Oh, you know that Shauna has like a MySpace page full of like terrible self-published poetry. Oh my god, remember MySpace? Unfortunately, and, yes. And Bebo. Oh and no! The original Messenger before it was Facebook Messenger. Unfortunately, yes. Oh. Van approaches Ty and opines that her haircut is pretty hot. Ty says, you're not going to talk me out of this. Van's like, I know. That's why I'm coming with you. Oh, love them. I love them both as a couple, and I love them that is Liv Houston. And Van says, you know, I've only been to New York City once. This is weird because they live like half an hour from New York City for reference. So, you know, you would definitely expect them to have gone more often. She's like, it was on my seventh birthday. All I wanted was a soft pretzel and one of those horse and cart rides through Central Park. It's lame. I was seven. Matthew, neither of us have been to Central Park, but have you ever had a soft pretzel or a horse and cart ride? No, but I remember the episode of Seinfeld where they feed the horse a bunch of beans. <laughs> and the patrons are understandably a bit kind of disgustipated. Good tool reference. The, um, yeah, I've had, I haven't ridden a horse and carriage. I've ridden on a horse and on a camel, both of which were cool. Anyway, that was cool. Vernon says that they did not get to do that because they got taken to see cats. Fucking cats. And both, both she and Ty laugh about this. Fun fact, Liv Hewson, who plays Van, loves the musical Cats IRL. So, yeah. I don't know if this is just a coincidence or an in-joke, but yeah. And that's before James Corden was out. Oh, right? oh, they don't like that version, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, well, it wasn't out then. Was yeah. No. <laughs> Again, as I say, I've not seen the original Cats. It could be a masterwork, but, you know, I'm just not... just going to guess that it's not. Yeah, I say probably not, but hey, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe for one of the bonus episodes, we'll watch Cats and give our thoughts on it. And That'd be great. And try to say which Cats character is which Yellow Jacket's character. <laughs> Lottie is definitely Mr. Mistopheles. Anyway, anyway, 
Anyway. No spoilers. Well, a lot of spoilers, but this whole exchange is extremely a look at this cute picture of my wife and daughter. I'm only three days from retirement type speech. There's my yacht that I finally bought. The SS live forever. <laughs> it, it's exactly that. It's like, oh, this cute little anecdote is going to make you feel bad for this character when they die. And Ty's like, Van. And she's like, I know I don't have to come with you. I need to. Which all. I love Ty's expression of conflicted gratitude in response to this, where she's both worried about and proud of her for coming with her. And she's like, I'm not going to die out here without at least trying to get there. And who knows, with you as our fearless fucking leader, we might actually make it. In this scene, Van chooses to put her trust in Ty completely. What she is about to experience will lead her to place her trust in another. Full voting. Quite. Mari and Akila appear, they're coming too. This extremely smacked to me of, these are the minor characters that we will have travel with you to pad out the group. <laughs> they don't need to be doing anything else. And Ty seems surprised, a little nervous, but appreciative of this. And then we move on. We cut to Travis and Nat inside the cabin, exchanging some cute banter about some aftershave? I wasn't really clear about this. That his mum packed him. Apparently useful as a disinfectant. Nat opines that it is a very sexy grandpa. They are cute together. And she's like, so are you going with them then? And he's like, oh, you know, not to sound like a sexist tool, but I feel like they need a guy with them. Okay, douchebaggery aside, which, yes, there's a bit of debaggington, he is willing to risk his life to find help. That's that's pretty commendable. You know, you got to give him that. And then that is like, oh, don't be so hard on yourself. I'm sure with a little effort you can overcome the sexist part. And Nat stops him from leading, says that, clearly you know overcome with emotion says that despite the fact that this makes her this totally selfish asshole she doesn't want him to go she says i'm sure they'll be fine uh, why are you sure of that i don't think they're sure that they'll be fine <laughs> and then she says she wants him to stay he's clearly moved by this he's trying to sort of fight the emotion back but you can see tears in his eyes god kevin alvez is really good he's moved by this he agrees to stay they start making out it's a cute little scene do you think that, like, it's acceptable to make someone who could potentially be useful? It's, it's a very interesting scene because of the two couples in the group, not counting Coach Ben and Misty, <laughs> of the two couples in the group, one of them has one member choosing to go with the other on the dangerous mission because they believe in them, and the other has one of them agreeing to not go on the dangerous mission because they told them to. What do you think of the ethics of that? Like, is it acceptable to say, yes, this could be important for our survival, but I really like you specifically, so I don't want you risking your life, even though you're willing to risk your life for the whole group? Like, where do you stand on that? So your question is one of favoritism. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, you could argue from a utilitarian perspective that, that she shouldn't tell him to stay, but it's very understandable that she does. To be you clear. think she should be more utilitarian and be like, you're best suited for this, you should come do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I mean, you could go with her, Nat. You wouldn't go astray. You know, you'd be a useful person to have out there, but I get it. I get it. I'm surprised she didn't, actually. She seems like usually the sort of person to jump at such things. Well, to, I think, answer your question probably, I would lean more towards a utilitarian perspective yeah. and use people's abilities to their best use. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that's easy for us to say if we were in that situation with somebody we cared deeply about maybe we'd you know see it differently uh i've, yeah. I've talked about this with my partner and they were like if we're ever lost in the woods you can just eat me i'm not gonna bother trying to survive <laughs> it, it's honestly yeah a lot easier than having to worry about all of the the little tiny things you need to worry about in order to survive wouldn't have this dilemma mm. anyway 
cut to Van handling the compass whilst seeing being pried out of the plane. She gives it to Mari. Oh, oh, fuck, this scene is so good, dude. Lottie walks up to Van and is like, if you have to leave, will you at least take this? And she's like, sure, what is it? I think it's very important to Lottie that Van doesn't mock her spirituality. Like, she doesn't say, you're crazy. She doesn't say, you're possessed, blah, 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 blah. She just accepts it. And then Lottie tells her that it will keep her safe. And she's like, like a lucky rabbit's foot. And Van looks kind of unsure, but receptive to this. Lottie is worried about her. Because he says, I had a dream last night. There was red smoke and a river of blood. Van seems genuinely frightened by this premonition. Lottie tells her to promise that she'll be careful. And she's like, yeah, sure, thanks, Lot. And then Lottie hugs her and there's a cute little, oh, from Van. It's so cute. Both Courtney Eaton and Liv Houston absolutely knock this scene out of the park. They're both amazing in it. And Lottie walks away. Van watches her go. She's still holding the bone. I think this relationship will be very important going forward. And they really, even though this episode is mostly about Van's relationship with Ty, they're able to set up her relationship with Lottie here well in a way that really makes me excited for the second season. Anyway, Misty is inside the cabin. She looks out to see Ty and Ben interacting as he, I think, teaches her how to make a fire? Yes. I can think of someone else who could have used that lesson in the group. And Misty, Like what, all of them? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes. Uh, she feels jealous and comes to a decision. Outside, Ty and Nat hug. Travis just stands around awkwardly. He's like, I'm a teenage male. I couldn't possibly display emotions. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Nat and Van hug. Now, that's another relationship I'd like to see more of. Misty runs out and announces that she is coming too. And she's like, Ben, uh, coach, please don't try to talk me out of this, okay? Not much chance of that, I don't think. <laughs> Steven Groove is amazing this scene, like, barely managing to contain his glee. He's like, oh, wow, that is... Well, that's just some of the most awful news I've ever heard. That's really brave of you, Misty. I'll, I'll do the best I can without you. And Samantha Henrati's completely po-faced delivery of I'll come back for you, I promise, is amazing. Oh, I know Misty is an insane psychopath, but I still felt really bad for her in this scene. Because there's definitely been times in my life when I've been played for a fool by somebody or had more feelings for somebody than they had for me, you know? Well, that's the thing about a TV show. Like, you've got to be able to identify with even the fucked up characters. Absolutely. And God, is this the show for that? Yeah. I, I really do identify with all the fucked up characters in this show. She hugs him awkwardly as everybody else cringes and smirks. He visibly relaxes when she stops hugging him. There's a cute Shauna and Ty hug. And then the party departs. The uh, party of five, as I shall be calling them. Everyone stands around awkwardly. Cut to Nat in the present, outside the hotel, late at night, as Shauna and Ty pull up. And she's like, what part of hurry up did you guys not understand? And then Ty's like, oh, it takes us blackmailed for you to care about being late. And Shauna, rather dickishly, says, we all have families and lives, okay? We can't just sneak out a window whenever. Ugh. Fucking ouch, Shauna. <laughs> Nat scowls at her and she's like, sorry, I didn't mean it like that. I think you did. And she asks her, where's the money? They put it in the bag. And Shauna's like, that's 50 grand? A little bit disappointing by heist movie standards. They put a tracker in there, which is one of Amazon's top sellers. Apparently secretly tracking people is really huge right now. They argue about how to hide the tracker. Shauna says, I just thought the money would be bigger. Which is a funny line. They hide the tracker in a bunch of junk, which, like, 
Would that work? Because on the one hand, he could just chuck it out the window, but he could also put it in the bin in his house, which would be good for your purposes. You know, it's a risk. It's a risk. Yeah, I feel like, generally speaking, like, you know, you make the hand over, the dude's going to check whether the money's yeah. in there. Yeah, um, and... I reckon, you know, throw rubbish out. he'd be like, what the fuck is all this shit? All I need is a bale of money in the middle. I'll take that. You mm. can have the fucking trash. Yeah. It's, it's like, in, um, have you played play GTA 5? Uh, no. Oh, well, I bought it three times. <laughs> <laughs> there's a story there, listeners. But yeah, there's a bit in that game where you buy an alleged brick of coke off this guy and then your companion is like, no, nah, you should check it, man. And you, it's just a bunch of styrofoam with coke wrapped around it. So then you get in a massive shootout with that prick. So yeah, yeah. that's why you got to check things. Yeah, the, that industry is not without its uh, shady dealings. I don't think it has non-shady dealings. <laughs> they are chiefly shady dealings. And Nat asks, where did you get that Etsy reject of a bag anyway, Shauna? And she's like, my daughter made it for Father's Day back when she was still cute. <laughs> Such an amazing and gift that she made with love and care is now being freely gifted into the hands of a brutal extortionist. It's a amazing and horrible metaphor for the decline of Shauna's marriage and family. And uh, society. Matt says, you're not as sentimental as your hubby. And she's like, I'm trying to help you guys. What the fuck is with guys in that sentence? Ty isn't antagonizing you. Yeah, that's dumb. Didn't you, didn't you hate... Well, you're an only child, so you can get... That sounds twatish, I'm sorry. But like, when you when you have siblings, you often have the experience of like, your sibling would fuck up and your parents would be like, you guys have got to learn to take better care of yourself. Like, what do you mean, guys? I didn't do anything. Yeah, stop trying to loop me in with a delinquent. There's fluff under his bed too, you know, as Michael Rosen would say. Nat has the money. As such, she demands to be the one to make the drop in Ty's car, which I guess is understandable. Ty gives Nat the keys to her baby. So, you know, be careful. Wait, She's what? Like, Say that again. Tyre first to the car is her baby. <laughs> okay, All right, we're going to pilot. Sammy is actually a minicon robot. He's going to triple change into a car and we're going to drive him to... At this point, it wouldn't surprise me. That creepy <laughs> bastard. And she's like, how the fuck do you start this thing? Because <laughs> I think it's an electric car or something. Because of course it is. Environment. Anyway, back, back in 19... 19- As if like using electricity to power your car is like, that much better than... I think it's mildly better. I mean, like, yeah, but, uh, like, on the one hand, you know, uh, petroleum. Once Mm. that's all gone, there's never going to be any more. Indeed, we're not going to have more dinosaurs. Yeah, and for some reason it was something to do with the the lack of fungus that petroleum was able to come into existence, because otherwise fungus would have just broken everything down into, like, basically compost or something. So, yeah, uh, because of the presence of fungus in the world now, uh, we will not be able to ever have any more petroleum so once that's gone it's gone forever and same deal with coal right yeah yeah isn't it sort of basically the same thing and burn coal to make electricity why is an electric car so much better you still need to dig out all the rare metal and everything to make a car with all these machines that again eat up more coal dust just to power the machines you know it's all yeah the more you think about it the more it fucking makes you want to throw up all very good points Solar energy, the the solar panels are only good for X amount of years, and then they go into landfill, you know? It's a bit bleak when you really think about it. Yeah, we're going to run out of materials sooner enough. (laughs) Anyway. Sorry for depressing everybody. Back to the show, guys. Back to making (laughs) dick jokes about a teen murder show. Back in 96, Shauna says that everybody's heading down to the lake. I'm just going to change, and Jackie is having none of this. She is standing there, arms crossed in... 
forthright popular girl pose saying, nope, you are finally going to tell me what the hell is going on. And Shauna tries to dodge. She's like, what are you talking about? Nothing's going on. Amazingly skeptical expression. She's like, Ella Purnell absolutely eats this scene for lunch. She's amazing in this. She's like, okay, liar. And Jackie starts yelling, no, you do not get to... This is interesting. She attempts to bar Shauna's access to the attic by pushing up the ladder, but cannot. She's like, oh my god, why are these so heavy? And Which, A, that would be me. And B, the continuing on the theme of Jackie not really thriving in this, in this environment. And C, there's, I think, a lot of rich thematic fruitfulness in the fact that she's stopping Shauna going up into the attic, which is the space she shares with Ty. Hmm. Jealousy of their increasingly close relationship. And Shauna's like, are you done? She's like, no, I'm not done. You're obviously hiding something from me and it's making me feel crazy. And she says, oh, I love this. Remember when your parents first separated and you told me that the reason your dad wasn't around as much was because you got a job as the president at Hello Kitty? That was more realistic than you're being right now. Oh, poor Shauna. Man, she's always... That's probably another aspect of Jackie's life that she was jealous of, that her parents stayed together and she didn't have a broken home. But as we learned, Jackie's parents fucking suck. So you shouldn't yeah. be jealous of that. I have a friend who loves Hello Kitty and has been to the sadly now defunct Hello Kitty Land theme park in Johor, Malaysia. Okay. And then she's like, I've seen you sneaking around and whispering with Thaisa, not to mention you acting all distant and weird for weeks. So spill, which, as you may remember, is also the thing written on Ty's door. So it's like, wow, I think, hmm. I think the writers are really trolling with that word choice. She's like, are you really going to keep something from me out here? And then she's like, what did I do? When did you stop wanting me to be your best friend? Man. Jackie is really laying it all out here in this conversation. After some hesitation and realizing she cannot really hide it anymore, Shauna says, I'm pregnant. Jackie is confused. He's like, what? Jackie reacts pretty fucking well, all things considered, I have to say. She's like, how did this happen? And Shauna's like, well, when a man and a woman... <laughs> Which reminds me of, <laughs> which reminds me of the one funny joke in the show Real Rob, where his assistant, who has had a vasectomy, tells him that he got his girlfriend pregnant, and then Rob Schneider was like, "How did that happen?" He responds, "Well, I just kept coming inside her." <laughs> and I'm not proud to say I laughed at that, but I did because I think the key to that joke is that it it goes one layer of obviousness more than you expect. Yeah, like you just expect him to say something about how the surgeon botched his vasectomy or yeah, something. Yeah, or even just like, well, with a man and a woman, but no, no, one layer even above mm -hmm. that. Oh, I tell a lie, there was another funny joke in that show where Rob Schneider looks like he's about to get divorced from his wife, and so it's the classic Hollywood cliche of him walking around town and seeing all the happy couples, like he's at a movie theatre and he sees this adorable old couple kissing and he's like, oh, it's really cute. And then the old lady starts sucking the old guy's dick in the movie theatre and it's like, oh. And, and the joke was funny, like, like it was funny, they successfully landed the plane, but they stayed in it too long, they Seth MacFarlane did it, don't you hate it that? They stayed in it, it became not funny, you landed yeah, the yeah. plane and then the fucking plane exploded, oh, I hate that. Yep, yep joke was funny no, exactly you, you know i mean i feel like listeners to this podcast are really familiar with that concept <laughs> hey i resemble that <laughs> any fucking way back to the scene jackie is like no i mean you lost your virginity without telling me with who and shauna has an option available to her to tell the truth but she doesn't she says uh randy and then jackie is like randy Again, saying his name in that specific way folk do. Matthew, what would have happened if she just told the truth in the scene? Like, oh, I fucked your boyfriend. 
But well, Tang would have been very angry. But I think in the long run, it would have been better. Do you think it would have eventuated or not freezing to death? Or I think so. I mean, look. Let me just part the kimono here and say that I think that every aspect of Jackie's character is a person who doesn't survive in this environment. So if mm. that didn't get her, something else probably would have. Yeah, yeah. I hate to say it. But surprised she wasn't the one who got like mauled by the wolves. What would be required for Jackie's survival is if a plane carrying a bunch of canned food landed on and crushed the rest of the yellow jackets and instead her. <laughs> <laughs> That... Half of it is also, you know, just a pallet of water. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. That's basically the kind of Hail Mary pass from God that you would have needed. Yep. Anyway, she's like, wow, okay, virginity, Randy, baby, I have so many questions. It was it was a good call for Shauna to make it an embarrassing person because that's a plausible explanation for the deception. You'd be like, why do you think I didn't want to tell you? I didn't want to tell you I banged Randy fucking Walsh. But she should have leaned harder into that theme and, spoiler alert, flashing forward a bit, hid the fucking diary better. Mm. But it's somewhere Jackie would never go, like something adjacent to work. Yeah, exactly. Like, hide it inside <laughs> of a deer carcass or something. Ah, man, that work. <laughs> I don't think that Jackie flat out thinks that Shauna is lying in this scene per se, right out of the gate. But I think from the very first, she's tremendously sceptical and confused about the idea. She's about to press her on it some more, I think, but then Laura Lee walks in, and she's like, don't worry. We're going to get through this together. And they hug. Oh, it's actually really cute. I know Jackie has her, you know, obnoxious aspects, but I feel really fucking bad for her, dude, because, like, having your best friend of your whole life, like, betray you like that, that's really that's sucks. pretty deep, eh? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I sympathize with Shauna as well and her low self-esteem, and when people believe that they are worthless, they will do crazy things to make themselves feel something but it's still really bad and i think even more that the fact that she did it is the lying about it like it's that, that's an, that thing steven said shout out steven about the garden of eden where like the reason god was really angry is not because they disobeyed him but because they lied about it like if you do something bad if you just own up to it that's not as bad as you know the lying yeah hiding it for ever because we're all imperfect we all make mistakes but you gotta own up to your mistakes and face the consequences what a nice teachable life lessons in this episode. Yeah. Uh, just rename the podcast Platitude Central. <laughs> well, I shall stop engaging in platitudinous piffle and move on. Back in 2021, Nat is watching folk from her vantage point suspiciously. And after they leave, she gets out to drop off the money in the clothing donation bin. Cut to Ty and Shauna waiting for her in the car, which who? Ooh, ooh, this scene. Ooh, there's a lot to drill into in this scene. Crazy. <laughs> Ty is like, she tells us not to take forever. How long does it take to drive a block? Then Sean is like, maybe she stopped to score drugs. Ouch. When these people hang around with each other, they start acting like high school mean girls again. <laughs> Just stop doing that, Sean, or rather, don't, because it's hilarious. <laughs> and Ty is like, oh, the pay cut I took to run for Senate isn't going to fund another stint in rehab. And it's like, you could have just given a cheapo rehab. You know, you could have dropped her off at some podunk hospital. You know, didn't have to yeah. give her the full resort. You know, she's probably going to relapse anyway. Well, she's twice. Fucking basket case. Oh, oh, poor Nat. I mean, that's what Shauna says in the scene. She's like, you're just enabling her to repeat the same pattern. She has to learn to handle her own shit, which is a valid point. You know, you got you to gotta take off the training wheels at some point. And then Ty says, I think also a valid point in response. And if she never does... Oh, I fucking love this scene. She's like, Shauna, don't you think about it? I've got Simone and Sammy. You've got Jeff and Callie. 
And Sean is probably thinking, Nat can fucking have those chumps anytime she wants. <laughs> and she does. <laughs> that would be weird if, if Nat banged Jeff and she was like, sorry, I had to do this for Jackie. You're even now. <laughs> Not that I think Nat would really do anything on behalf of Jackie. Uh, Particularly after the previous to this episode and the next episode after this, anyway. And then Ty's like, did we do something to deserve that? It's just fate that gave us that, right? I love that, because Ty's like, we've all done fucked up horrible shit, and we don't really we don't really deserve to be happy and have these seemingly idyllic lives that we do. She's like, who does Natalie have, other than Travis, which we both know is a fucking train wreck, and god, that makes you want to see that fucked up post-crash relationship even more. I just cannot wait till we get to that point. And she's like, who does she really have? No one. And now she has less. She has you! Ty, she has you. So why don't you try fucking telling her that? You know? Yeah, and Misty. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty desperate fucking straights if that's the person you have in your corner. I mean, she might quite literally murder you in your sleep. Yeah. You know, friends are friends. Yeah, even if they film you having sex with your boyfriend. Which we'll get to, we'll fucking get to that. What are friends for? <laughs> not that. <laughs> And in Ty's defense, Nat is not exactly the easiest person in the universe to be friends with. So, oh man. And there's a line that you have to like triple underline as a fan of the show. It's like, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. Big, big line, big line. We'll discuss this more in our post-season chat and our tentative season two predictions. But I think that Nat was likely instrumental in starting the chain of events that led to their rescue, shall we say. And I think that's why they say he wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. And Ty says, so I do what I can. Not just for her, for me. Ty, underneath her layers of brittleness and snarkiness, does truly care about and feel indebted to Nat. And I think Shauna does too, because her expression seems to concede that what Ty's saying is correct. And the next moment breaks my fucking heart, dude. Because Nat enters the car and Ty's like, the fuck took you so long? All of that sensitivity and indebtedness and genuine love that you have for her out the window in a fucking second i can't possibly let you know that i really care about you no fuck you what the fuck took you so long <laughs> i'm just gonna keep them guessing yeah exactly <laughs> the fear is what keeps them in line <laughs> okay azula anyway these women really do care about each other if only they could get out of their own way enough to express it and i think getting to the point where they can be honest with each other would be a great place for the adult survivors arcs to end but as i've said before i don't think this show is that optimistic now it took so long because she stopped at a gas station to buy liquor she just brought it off the clock lol <laughs> yeah like like the guy wasn't even the proprietor oh. of a liquor store and he just like sold it to her and to quote jackie from episode three your backwash no thanks no thanks. I'm I'm not a hygiene. I mean, the alcohol would sterilize it. True. Like I'm I'm not a hygiene nut by any means, as, as you well fucking know. But like, <laughs> I wouldn't pay that much for a guy's partially finished scotch. You know. I mean, you don't know how much he paid for. No, it. true, true. I wouldn't I wouldn't pay anything over like thirty or forty for that, unless it was like really good scotch. U.S. or Australian? <laughs> U.S. That's like a lot for a, a half MD. Yeah, but I mean, like, if I was an alcoholic, I'd probably feel differently about Well, yeah, yeah. Mark up for desperate times. <laughs> if I were a practicing alcoholic. 
<laughs> I'm something of a lapsed alcoholic. Anyway. Uh, got to backpedal a little bit. <laughs> to, to misquote your Uber driver, I didn't say I was a good alcoholic. <laughs> Hope you enjoy uh, all these weird fucking... So, so what, what is a good alcoholic, by the way? Like, they drink like eight bottles of whiskey, they drive yeah. home, don't crash, Did don't I... beat their messes, and just go to bed. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That, that reminds that reminds me of a George Cullen routine where he's like, people always talk about being motivated. I think motivation is overrated. Serial killers, mass murderers, dictators, all very motivated people. Every corpse on Mount Everest was once a highly motivated person. You show me some guy sitting on his ass watching TV eating chips, and I'll show you a guy who's not causing any fucking trouble. <laughs> to quote Robots 2005? Yes? Never try, never fail. <laughs> <laughs> listener i'd just like to uh apologize for all of our insane bizarre tangents and hey no that's that's in the synopsis yeah. we don't have to apologize for fulfilling our end of the bargain exactly i'd like to <laughs> both do that and commit to continuing to do them indefinitely <laughs> anyway ty says as nat gets sloshed she looks forward determinedly out of the windshield Come on, fuckface, take the money. Great cut, match cut, to Ty leading in the past, leading the party of five through the woods. Amazing shot. She looks sullenly determined, is the best way I can show the facial expression. Van is wearing the bone around her neck as a necklace. Which I think makes sense. You know, once the hedger bets, you know, have a have two bob each way, as we say. And Ty demands, what the hell is that? And Van tries to play it off. He's like, Marty gave it to me. And Van gets this cute, slightly defensive look when Ty responds, Seriously? And Ty says that if this were a horror movie, Lottie would be the villain. Lol! Sometimes the writers just dispense with subtlety all to fucking gather and just tell you what is going to happen. Van counters this by saying that if this were a horror movie, Ty would be the first to die. And she's like, because I'm black? Lol. Which, which reminds me, oh, there's this great uh, UK comedian called uh, Prince Abdi, who for context is black. And it's like, uh, there are times in your life when you shouldn't play the race card. You know, one of those times was when a bloke didn't hold the door open to me. I was like, why do you hold the door open to me? It's because I'm black. He's like, no, mate, it's because I'm blind. <laughs> he had another joke where it's like, his, his younger brother rang up. He's like, our parents kicked me out. He's like, why'd they do that? He's like, because I'm black. <laughs> For context, Prince Abdi's parents are also black. <laughs> so that probably wasn't the reason, eh? Anyway. The van counters that no, because she's the sceptical one. They always go first, leaving the rest of us to keep doing dumb shit and die in unnecessary brutal ways. Dear sweet cup and cakes, what a fucking line of dialogue. <laughs> and then Van is like, wait, why does the black character always die first? It's like, because of racism, Van. <laughs> because of racism in society and script writing. Apparently, in order to defend her, Van points out that Lottie predicted a prom queen last year and the Mr. Jenkins scandal. So even medication can't fully suppress her powers, you know, if that's indeed what they are. Another point is that, uh, God, there are a lot of sex scandals at Whiskeyok High. The principal banging someone, the Mr. Jenkins scandal, ugh, just a magnet for crazy shit. The van is so cute when she says, what? She did. It's really cute. And then Ty continues to look sort of mutinous at this, so van is like, oh, chill out. You get so serious about this shit. She will get more serious than you know, Ty. Cut to Misty in the present, still watching Kevin naked in bed through Alcam. Jesus Christ. Listening to the Phantom OST as Jessica yells, God fucking damn it, Misty! at her. 
And Misty just goes, hello, Kevin Tan, creepily to herself. I wonder if Misty ever watched Nat and Trav bang in the woods. Or Van and Ty, even. Much to consider. When you're in a when you're in a small cramped cabin, it's gonna happen eventually. I mean, I don't imagine she'd have the technology, right? <laughs> Back in time, no batteries. Or just, you know, she could do acoustic watching people bang. Oh uh, yeah, like drill a hole in the wall yeah. or something. Yeah. She goes Oops. back downstairs to her captive. Cut to the stakeout gang. Shauna is saying, this is unacceptable. Blackmail us? Fine. But it's 3.34. Why have a show up at 2 and then keep us waiting? I love that. She's like, I'm not annoyed at the blackmail. I'm annoyed at the inconvenience. <laughs> she has also been drinking the gas station fellow's booze and is becoming rather crunk. Ty is like, maybe they're scouting the area, making sure we're not waiting. And she's like, okay, then find us already. I'm not impressed. Nat tells her to slow down on the drinking, which, wow, that's how you know you fucked up when Nat is telling you to take it easy. <laughs> and then someone was like, what for? This is a train wreck already. Basically summing up her life. Yeah. And mine. Ty. Ah. I get you. Ty is like, yeah, no, it will be at this rate. Ty is remaining sober, as she must always stay in control. How ironic. Shauna says that we should make the most of this quality time. She asks about Ty's wife and son, her campaign, and Titus responds, fine, to everything. <laughs> Much like interviewing Robert De Niro. And she asks what happened to Ty's hand, and she's like, it's nothing. I have heard Robert De Niro is rather enigmatic. <laughs> he is. Very sort of monosyllabic. Monos yeah, absolutely. And then Sean is like, great talk, lol. And that is like, well, if anybody wants to know about me, I've been fucking Kevin Tan. <laughs> I love how excited they are with this info. It's so cute. And Shauna's like, the goth kid? And she's like, well, he's a cop now. And then Ty's like, are you kidding me? Nat says he has two kids. And Shauna's like, oh dear, that sounds a bit complicated. Don't be a patronizing cockwomble, Shauna. And then Nat is like, not to me. It's actually kind of nice. Ty is happy for her. Which, oh, a nice moment in this largely quite horrifying episode. Fuckface is moving. They spring into action. The music starts up. Shauna says, actually, I probably shouldn't drive because if we die, we will never find out who's doing this. <laughs> Nat is like, I'll drive. The others are both in unison. are like, no, which is amazing. <laughs> I love all of the yellow jackets together. I want there to be more of that in season two. I love how whenever they're around each other, they regress into acting like their immature teenage selves. I mean, doesn't everybody? Yeah. I mean, uh, but for the grace of God goes this podcast. Packed <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the past, Travis is in bed reading a book. Which one, I wonder? When Nat enters. And she's like, you hear that? And he's like, I don't hear anything. And she's like, exactly. She runs up and kisses him passionately, removes her shirt. He does the same, and they get down to business. And she says, I'm so glad you stayed. Uh, Travis seems uncertain, says, what if someone, um... And then she's like, they all went down to the lake. Except for Coach, who's outside enjoying his new life without Misty. Ouch. <laughs> Nat removes his pantos and begins a... I feel like a creep describing this in great detail, so I will simply say that something is happening in that region. <laughs> Until Travis protests that they should suit up, as it were. Awkward moment as Trav puts the armor on his soldier, as it were. And Nat is like, they're kind of tricky. He's like, I got it, I got it. Nat is being so nice. Oh, she's much nicer than many people have been in such situations that have occurred in humanity. Sorry. It's not that hard to put on a raincoat. You just got to put it on the right way and roll it down, mate. It's not rocket surgery. <laughs> when you're nervous and fumbling about, though, it can be. Anyway, the encounter rapidly deflates, The uh, as does Travis's schlong. 
<laughs> the air starts coming out of things. Uh, they they make out a bit more, and that is like, I want you so bad. Travis seems uncertain. He's like, you don't have to talk like that. It's like I, I don't think she's doing that for your benefit. I think she she that's how she rolls. Travis uh, loses the thread. Despite his best efforts, his aperture is down for the count. <laughs> Which is, you know, a very realistic thing to happen. It happens to every guy at some point in his life. It's not a big deal. It's nothing to be ashamed of. He's nervous. Exactly, exactly. He's, and we'll get more into this later, but he's nervous because he genuinely loves her and cares about her, and because he wants it to be special and real, because deep down he's a romantic. Yeah, he's afraid to let her expectations Exactly, come. exactly. Ironically, you know, it's like that quote from Legend of Korra, you're so afraid to disappoint anybody that you end up disappointing everybody. Yeah common lament he seems to feel ashamed nat reassures him that it's okay and then he puts his clothes back on and leaves and she's like where are you going he's like i don't know i'm sorry i gotta go now matthew do you think this is just regular old teenage nerves or do you think travis has some past trauma in this area what do you think vis-a-vis uh, -vis his father i mean may, uh, I, I, soon after him uh, arriving at this i mean hotel? i thought maybe a theory in the fandom is Maybe his father interfering with him. I don't personally think that's the case, but it's a theory some people have, and that would be very dark. I'd lean to more. No, I'd lean more towards the conventional sort of, uh, you know, coitus nervousness. Yeah, no, exactly. I, I think it's just that he sounds was... like a like an incantation from <laughs> Harry Potter, <laughs> <laughs> one that would become useful to them in later books. Anyway, yeah, I basically think it's well, Travis's dad was a dick. I don't think he was that much of a dick. I think it's just regular old teenage nerves. Cut to Shauna and Jackie chilling in the woods. Jackie wants to know everything about Shauna's supposed encounter with the Randster. And she asks, was it good? And she's like, it was just this one time. It hurt a little and it only lasted like three minutes. Ouch. I hope that wasn't true of Jeff, but I suspect it was, given his performance in the first episode we see with Jackie. This is blatant Randy slander, or Randa, if you will. I maintain that Randy is a sex god. And, you know, th three minutes, you know, that's pretty generous for your alleged first time. <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, if it was also his first time, then yeah, he did fucking amazingly graded on that curve. Yeah. Anyway, and Jackie's like, oh god, I can I can picture it now. Just like his, his little butt. <laughs> this is, spoiler, the last truly pleasant interaction between them. And she's like, when did this happen? How could I possibly have missed it? And she's like, I have a life outside of you, you know. Oh, God, that's one of the biggest themes of this season is Shauna moving out from under Jackie's shadow. And she says, it was the night of Mari's birthday party. You and Jeff bailed early, remember? Shauna, say it was some time when nobody else was there to disprove your story. Like, say that you came over to his house after school one day. Fucking hell, do you need to be handheld through being a lying backstabber? Yeah, it was all weird and mysterious. Exactly. You've had a long time to get your story straight. If you're going to lie, base it on a truth. That's the first thing they teach you at the CIA. Yeah. I don't actually know if that's true. It's a line <laughs> in the show, Lead Balloon. Anyway. Yeah, uh, like I said in the last uh, episode, if you're taking advice from the CIA, <laughs> you know you're fucked. Yeah. Shauna says that it was good. It's not a direct quote. Shauna says that she had too much Malibu and milk. And Jackie is like, I told you to stop drinking that because it was disgusting, not because it would lead to the conception of her and Randy's love child. Milk-based alcohol is delicious, actually, Jackie. But whatever. Let's take a moment to consider that Shauna is basically falsely accusing an innocent guy of taking advantage of her while drunk. I know that they all have bigger problems right now and she's kind of desperate, but still, that's not cool. Yeah. 
the official position of this podcast is that Randy is awesome. He's a fucking legend, and Shauna would have had a better time in life if she dated him instead of banging Jackie's boyfriend. Beautiful bird song is playing in the background of this scene, which is interesting. And uh-oh. It's a pity Ty isn't in this scene because it's skepticism time. And Jackie says, are you sure it was the night of Mari's birthday party? Because apparently she had to go back and give Randy a ride home because he puked in the pool. Ah, that dude knows how to party hardy. So we're learning that Mari's family has a pool, so they're rich or at least middle class. Useful info. Shauna is like, yeah, we were both pretty drunk, I guess. That still gives Shauna a window to conceivably have banged the ramster. Just, you... (laughs) Try harder at lying. I mean, don't lie. But if you're going to lie, be better at it. So much for making it special, right? She said. Yeah, it was Ro- like that Steve Hughes bit where he's like, if you're going to hate, hate positively. <laughs> George Bush is still alive. <laughs> what do you hate? Enya? How do you hate Enya? It's, it's just silence colored in. in. <laughs> anyway. No. <laughs> sinister piano music begins playing as Jackie looks skeptical as fuck. And she says, Shauna, what are you going to do? She's like, honestly, I have no fucking clue. This would be a terrifying situation to be in as a young woman, and I really sympathize with her. To the evening. The makeshift campfire in the woods of the party of five. Van is recapping the plot of the movie while you were sleeping with Sandra Bullock. Which, that would be me in the wilderness, the recapper. I'd be like, oh man, you guys are going to love what happens in the show (laughs) Kill the Kill. (laughs) You're not a big Sandra Bullock fan, as you mentioned in the episode. No, not really. Did the... you ever watch that movie, uh, Bird Box, or whatever it is? Yes, it was terrible. I did not watch it, movie. because it's... I just assumed I would hate it. Uh, I... I'm glad that you're confirming It was one of those suspicions. cliched movies where every line is so cliched and obvious that you can say it before the character does. Mm. It's like, turn back, it's not safe, shit like that. It's like, we know it's not safe. It's it was uh, an... this movie. It was an absolute shitcock of a movie. Mm. Anyway. Uh, yeah, the movie that Van is describing sounds insane. Like a, a guy's in a coma and then he wakes up and he thinks Sandra Bullock is his wife. What the fuck? I I kind of want to watch it now because it just sounds so crazy, but I probably shouldn't. No, just chuck it on that shared list that we don't know that exists. Van is so cute and she's getting so excited describing this. She's like, this dude actually thinks that Sandy is his fiance, but she's not. <laughs> and the Yellow Jackets have not had any entertainment for months. This must be amazing to them. To them, this is like the Super Bowl. Misty is, oh, she's so, she's so cute. She's so enraptured by this. She just loves hanging out with friends for the first time. She's enjoying the woods more than anyone because she's like, people want to be around me now. This is amazing. I have a purpose. Exactly, exactly. Oh, man. Oh, I love Misty. And this funness is interrupted by some wolves howling in the distance. Everybody looks understandably kind of worried by this, but Ty is like, we'll be fine. Wolves are scared of humans. Uh, is that true? I don't think so. Like, I don't think they're so much scared of humans as they won't, generally speaking, attack humans for food. I think like how how wolves works is like you know if their pack is bigger than your pack, then they're yeah. not afraid of you. <laughs> I, I don't think they typically attack humans for the purpose of killing and eating them, but they. If they're hungry. Yeah, if they stumble into your territory. Yeah, I'm not a wolf expert. Don't have wolves in Australia, just foxes and dingoes and stuff. So yeah, maybe <laughs> prepare in episode. Not, not that you're much of an expert on those either. No, no, I want to say I couldn't tell you much about the hunting patterns of them either. Anyway, it doesn't sound like they're very close, Ty says. Uh, doesn't it? It sounds like they're pretty fucking close to me, but whatever. What, wolves and foxes? Uh, no, uh, the wolves close to them. Oh, right. Anyway, I uh, love the wide shot of the 
campers around the fire, enshrouded by the darkness and the trees, emphasizing how small they are in the yawning blackness. And after a brief moment of tension, Van brings it back with, you know who does need to worry? Girl, Sandy. And also, spoiler alert, Van, you. <laughs> there's, a, there's a line in Seinfeld, yeah, I heard the drugstore called. They're missing a you. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he had to yeah. work all the all day on that comeback. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I want Van to recap Seinfeld so badly. He's like, and then they bring out every single person they ever wronged, like Babu Bhatt and the soup Nazi and the Chinese restaurant man. And they all just say how awful they are and how they belong in jail, which we already knew. And then she'd be like, and they invoke the good Samaritan law. And Ty would be like, um, that's actually not what that means. You'd be like, stop cinema sinsing my recap, Ty. <laughs> Oh, I love the a tie looks affectionately at Van and she begins retelling the story. She envies, I think, Van's powers of taking people's minds off things with humor. Van is the character Ty's stick. Ty can like bollock people to get them moving, but she can't really cheer them up as well as Van can. Between between the two of them, I think they're a formidable they'd be a formidable political pair. Anyway, cut to Misty in the present, watching that very same movie while you were sleeping. And it's very cute because it clearly shows that this moment meant a lot to her. You know, she still holds on to it a long time later. And a scene, interestingly, one of, I think one of the movies that, that she's watching is like Cape Fear. So that brings the, does Juliette Lewis exist in this universe? If so, <laughs> why does nobody tell Nat that she looks all like Juliette Lewis? You know what I mean? It's like, guys, Missed opportunity. think about it. It's It's so confusing. Anyway. The, a scene of the main characters trying to move an unconscious guy. I don't know. I've never seen this movie. Maybe we should watch the movie for the podcast. In fact, I thought of what we could call our episodes covering movies. What? There's no film club? Huh? Huh? Okay, your expression tells me you've forgotten what that's a reference to. Yes. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll get... To, well, then that great moment will surprise you, so that's great. Anyway... Jessica, Excellent, I look forward. Jessica interrupts this revelry to ask, what do you want from me? And Misty simply responds, I want you to tell me the truth. She's like, okay, your haircut is unflattering. A, I disagree, I think it looks nice. B, yeah, you're tied up in someone's basement. Better insult <laughs> and antagonize them. Jesus Christ. What are they going to do? Well, we'll see. And Misty says, if the easy way isn't going to work, is there something else I should try? She says that all roads lead back to Jessica. She accuses Jessica of blackmailing and stalking them and of killing Travis. Misty may be smart, but she can definitely chase a lead down a crazy direction. Jessica incredulously denies these charges and points out that if Misty really knew who did it, she wouldn't be here. Apparently this is not Jessica's first hostage rodeo. Jessica reveals that Ty hired her to look into, ooh, everyone who made it back from the wilderness. An intriguing phrase to plug any potential leaks in advance. This is something we have to get into. Being a person who survived is not necessarily synonymous with being a person who made it back from the wilderness. Maybe some of them stayed. That's an interesting thought. Indeed. Jessica says she knows that Travis was murdered, but refuses to say how she knows that, because this is what we call leverage in my line of work. Jessica offers to partner with Misty, and I'd watch that fucking spin-off. Uh, Misty asked, What happened to the last person who held you hostage? And Jessica responds, they lived happily ever after. Or at least that's what I tell everybody. Well, <laughs> quite. They both laugh, 
until Misty slaps the shit out of her. Misty responds that you only have leverage if I'm not willing to make you talk, which means that you have no leverage at all. Misty is fucking terrifying, but I just want to point out, torture doesn't actually work. Like, it's not really a good means of retrieving useful information because the person will say anything to make the torture stop. Like, yeah, because um, past a certain point, they'll just say any old thing to get you to stop torturing them. Because uh, what's his face? James James Madden, I'm, I think that's what he's called, the former US like Secretary of Defense, was like, uh, you want to torture a guy? Give me a pack of smokes and a six-pack of beer and I'll get you more information out of him than a year's worth of torture will. You know? Yeah, I know. Just uh, make sure to leave out the bottle opener and the lighter. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a line like that in uh, in the show New Tricks where he's like, you, you keep the guy sweating in the interrogation room for hours, he can't have a cig, then you light one up in front of him, he'd fucking sell his own mother down the street for yep. one of your fucking cigs. Yep. He'll sing like... Power of suggestion, man. He'll sing like a fucking canary. She leaves Jessica in the basement and goes back upstairs. Cut to Harvey in the past, rooting around Shauna's bag in the attic. He wanted to borrow the hunting knife. She comes across him and correctly chastises him that you're not supposed to go through other people's private stuff, you know. What, Shauna, you mean like people's boyfriends? <laughs> Harvey wanted the knife for an art project. She gives it to him and tells him to be careful. Shauna is freaked out about the possibility of someone discovering her journal, which is apparently full of her talking about banging Jeff a lot. <laughs> she hides the journal in the in the rafters, which I would have chosen somewhere different. Lol. This is both kind of a dumb plot contrivance, but also a completely realistic teen behavior. Particularly if said journal is your only real connection to civilization and your family and the life you once knew. Yeah, I get why she'd want to hold on to it, even though she definitely shouldn't. You could just pull out the pages where you say you bang. Maybe it's full of her banging Jeff, though. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Cut to the present. The three yellow jackets are tailing their suspect and a large truck pulls out in front of them. Nat thinks the driver is in on it. She runs out of the car, taking matters into her own hands. A uh, wild card, bitch, as it were. Nat holds the driver at gunpoint. This poor guy, he's like, I'm not, I don't know anything. The others tell her to put the gun down and then the dude appears running away from the truck. They chase after the blackmailer as Firestarter by Prodigy starts playing. Cool song, in my opinion. <laughs> Ty tosses Sean of the keys and... Uh, tells him to tells her to pull around and cut him off. She and Nat pursue the dude through a factory type area. Ty says, "Take the wing. I'll mark him like it states." I think Ty is the only yellow jacket who still likes soccer, thinks fondly about that time, and thinks about the world through the lens of soccer. Like, if Van is alive, and I hope Brady is, I don't think she thinks of herself as a goalie. You know, a process we as people can severely un not definitely not identify with <laughs> i'm gonna need a second for that one let me get my abacus out yeah. it's a, a triple negative so it's a positive right <laughs> <laughs> sure so, something they're chasing the fellow ty tackles this baptouche but he smacks her in the face and runs away but not before falling into a glitter barrel and getting absolutely covered with the stuff yeah that ship never washes out hard luck man Shauna pulls around the corner, but too late to stop fuckface. Nat tries to shoot him. Ty stops her, and the bullet misses him. Oh, she's a bit of a loose cannon. Uh, the tracker fell out, as Shauna discovers. Ty suggests they look for an asshole covered in glitter, and I tried to not make a gay bar joke here. I really did. <laughs> Get to them, driving home glumly after their failed mission. Nat is like, I wasn't going to kill him. And then Sean's like, oh, really? So what was your plan? Just shoot him in the leg through the back windshield? But I have to say, it's a good point. 
Shauna, like, it seemed like you were gonna fucking kill him. Shauna says, it felt for a moment there like we were all going away for murder. Lol. Eh, lol. Eh, eh. And that is like, like we haven't done a lot worse. That's an interesting line. What have they done that's worse than murder? Murder and ritual cannibalism? Torture? We'll get there. Anyway. When will we get there? I can't wait. Uh, I think we're looking at like Feb, March next year. Uh, yeah, sorry, man. Hey, we have this podcast to tide us over till then. Anyway, <laughs> Shauna says, speak for yourself, Natalie. Don't drag us into your endless fucking pit of guilt. But you feel guilt too, Shauna. Much as you try to deny it, you are carrying Jackie's corpse around you like a yoke. Anyway, Ty says, at least we know fuckface is a man. And that points out, no, we don't. It could be working with someone, including that annoying reporter. <laughs> And Ty's like, whoever they are, they just got 50 grand, and they know we're onto them. What if they spill our secrets just to spite us? Nat says, I'm not going to let that happen. Shauna voices some rude, but I have to say understandable, skepticism that she has the ability to prevent that. She's like, are you going to grab a flamethrower and just go up and down Route 9 knocking on doors? Which, I would like to see that. I would too. Nat is fed up with this and just goes, pull over, I'm going to jump out. She's like, you don't get it, do you? This isn't for us, this is for Travis. And Ty says... Nah, we're not even sure his death is related to any of this. Which is actually a good point, though she's not in the mood to hear it. And she's like, the fuck it isn't! You guys didn't know Travis like I did. He wouldn't kill himself. Do you understand that? Oh, Juliet Lewis crushes this scene. She's like, and I know you guys think I'm crazy, but you know what I see? You guys are just as fucked up as I am. You're just better at lying to yourselves. Which, yes and no. They are, but I don't think they're as good at lying to themselves as you think. She then says... If you're not going to help me with the plan, I'm going to do it myself. This is a bit of an immature reaction, but I get it. It's been a pretty stressful day. Cut back to a rather lovely establishing shot of the Lakeside Forest. There's a lot of really beautiful visuals in this app, despite the horrifying content. The party of five have approached a strange copper-coloured river. Misty advises them not to drink it. Akila asks, what did Lottie say was in her dream? A river of blood? Van looks concernedly at the river, clearly weighing things up in her mind. Mari mentions the cloud of red smoke, and Van grips her bone tightly. Phrasing. <laughs> no. Uh, bone guy? Bone guy. Bone guy. Bone guy. Bone guy. Bone guy. Bone guy. <laughs> Tying in a tie, she uh, does what she does best. I was like, yes, and last night I dreamed I went water skiing with Princess Diana. So, hmm, is that a premonition of her death? And I, I was talking to my partner, I was like, uh, isn't it ironic that her name was Princess Di? No, Justin, I don't think that is particularly <laughs> ironic, because everyone dies. If she was named Princess Di in a car crash pursued by reporters, that would be maybe ironic. Or Princess Live Forever. <laughs> no, the princess is a good ship, Live Forever. That reminds me of, uh, I, I want to say, like, Bill Hicks. No, not Bill Hicks. Uh, Patton Oswalt making fun of the song Ironic by Alanis Morissette, where he's like, a no-smoking sign on your cigarette break isn't ironic, it's poor municipal planning. <laughs> a no-smoking sign at a cigar factory is ironic. And rain on your wedding day is just inconvenient. Exactly, no, he has, exactly, he has a whole bit. He has a whole bit about that. It's a good song, though. Anyway, I like it anyway. Misty thinks that iron deposits have changed the water's colour, and Ty jumps on this explanation, much like the animals migrating earlier in the episode. She's like, that's definitely what it is, and says that they have to keep moving. Mari tells the others that the compass is fucking out, it's buzzing around everywhere. Ty is like, the iron must be messing with the compass, right? She, she says it'll work again when they leave the river. I wonder, did it? Anyway, Ty walks away, but the others aren't following. 
Mari asks, should they think about going back? Ty says they just need to get away from here. Van is like, wait, let's think about this. And Ty, nearing the end of her rope, is like, think about what? And Van is like, it is a pretty big coincidence that Lottie dreamed about this stream. And now the compass is acting weird. Now, what do you think? It is a big coincidence, but coincidences happen in life. Do you think it's coincidence or do you think it's psychic powers? Well, as with literally everything in this show, it's hard to decipher whether it's psychic shit or banal shit. Indeed. Ty, as we have seen with a man with no eyes, has a very powerful reason not to believe in the supernatural. And Van will soon gain a reason to believe in it that I think will set them on the course that will eventually tear them apart. Hopefully answers for the listeners quite, quite, next quite. season. Akilah's like, what did Lottie say when we found the plane? And Van is like, it didn't want him to leave. And the anguish in her voice, oh man, fuck me. Ty has had just about enough of this. She's like, you have to be fucking kidding me. And Van is like, I'm just saying. She's like, what? What are you just saying? Oh, this is a great little paragraph of anger. She's like, the fucking woods don't want us to leave. Do you know how insane that sounds? The woods don't give a shit. And all this nonsense with Lottie's dreams and omens and whatever the fuck that is points to the bone necklace this is something i love and hate at the same time so much about the ty and van relationship as understandable and sympathetic as it is for ty to be so skeptical of the supernatural it is undeniably hurtful to van in practice they both have very sympathetic reasons for feeling the way they do and the next bit is just Fi's philosophy we can survive without a compass we'll use the sun to travel south and we can place cairn stones onto trees good word cairn cairn there's a solution for everything. An explanation for everything! Damn. Well, as, uh, as What's-A-Face from the Thor movies would say, magic is just science we don't understand yet. Just like the science slash magic behind you rolling your R's in the word Cairn. I just... I feel like the R is in there. It needs some credit. <laughs> And Ty correctly points out that nobody forced you to come with me. Anybody that wants to go back, by all means, but I'm losing daylight. And I feel like, at that point, you're not going to go back on your own. Van looks at Ty's retreat kind of contemptuously, but they ultimately do all follow. Though not before she keeps staring at the creepy water for a bit more. Cut to the present. Shauna drives home to discover Adam standing in front of her house. What the fuck? He is failing a fair etiquette so badly. And she asks him, what the fuck are you doing here? Fair question. He might as well have a giant sign on the side I of his am... car that says, I'm having an affair with the lady that lives in this house. <laughs> the big arrow pointed to like, this lucky lady and I are <laughs> extramaritally slurping. <laughs> and then she's all like, it's four in the morning. How long have you been in my driveway? He responds, long enough to be out of my mind, but not long enough to be a full-on stalker. That's a matter of fucking opinion, dude. He, is yeah, act- he he definitely didn't like answer in any meaningful terms no. how long he had been out there. He's acting so fucking sus, dude. I reckon anything over like, you know, ten or fifteen minutes is getting into stalker territory. I completely agree. Sean was all like, What if my husband were here or my daughter? He's like, I didn't see the car, so I made a calculation. What the fuck would you have done if they'd pull up in front of the house where they were there, you fucking dickhead? Uh, I fucking hate this guy, he's such a knob. Shauna tells it's him like to... he doesn't get any of it. Exactly. Shauna tells him to go home. And he responds, what are we doing, Shauna? And she's like, what happened to go with the flow? See where life takes me. Apparently, Adam is up at night wondering if maybe we could be something. 
I'm gonna yachts. Shauna responds, you are so full of shit, which, yes. She accuses his manic pixie dream boy shtick of being just an act. And she says, all that is happening is that you're not in control and you're not used to it. Adam then, I'm fully committed to this furniture salesman guy. I'm just fucking <laughs> you on the side. Eh, lol. Adam then grabs her? Jesus Christ. And Adam says that she feels exactly what is happening between them. Every cell in your body wants to blow things up and see what happens. That's who you are. I have to say, I think he's right about that. I have to give him that. Uh, Peter Gaddio, who plays Adam, is very good. He's he's great in this role. It's just that the role is a knobhead. Like, he's not the mm. actor's fault. And I think... Yeah, he's just fulfilling the Yeah, brief. absolutely. And, like, I think in many ways he's meant to be a knobhead. Anyway, they then fuck. Predictably enough, not much else to say. Nat, back at her hotel, puts Kevin's gun back in its holster and falls asleep beside him. He apparently didn't wake up at any point. God, that guy's a heavy sleeper. Cut back to the past. The party of five are making camp yet again. Ty tells them that, I know it doesn't feel like it, but we're all one step closer to home. I promise this will be all over soon. To quote Charlie from the show Always Sunny, that's a guarantee you can't make. Mm -hmm. Diane, still a bit pissed off with Ty, I think at least somewhat justifiably, intercuts her with, we don't need another speech, Ty, so we need to sleep. <laughs> Which is fair. She does sort of, much like Katara from Avatar, her solution to almost every situation is a rousing speech. Mm. Though it's a bit more bollocking in her case. Van says she'll take the first watch. Ty says that she'll do it so the rest of them can rest. Which, you gotta give her credit. As a leader, like, she might be kind of a dictatorial hard-ass, but she's definitely never gonna ask someone to do something she's not willing to do herself. And she's willing to, like, lead the pack, you know? She can be kind of a dink sometimes, but she's willing to put her life on the line for the greater good, and I can give her credit for that. I feel like any superior's got to chip in where they can. Absolutely. they just lose the morale of their entire team. I mean, yeah. Jackie. Jackie. <laughs> We're all looking at you. Uh, Hope well, you die out in the cold. Oh, oh. no. Poor Jackie. Uh, we, we did a real 180 in the space of a millisecond. I, I like... I. <laughs> I know I give her a lot of shit, but I do like her a lot. Anyway, she's not even in She doesn't deserve to die out in the frost, no, but, no. you know, she she's just less useful than the other people. That is undeniably true, but I would say that's the fault of more of her parents and the society she lived in than herself. Anyway. That's uh, true. Van says she'll take the first watch. Ty says that she'll do it so they can rest. Uh, nice, but probably not the wisest decision of your life. Cut to present Misty talking to Jessica as she extracts some mysterious goopage into a vial. She says, You know what I love about fentanyl? It's legal, but deadly. And when someone dies from it, they just assume it's an overdose. Yeah, just way to channel to some sort of terrifying shit. Oh, quite. Misty reveals that she, Jesus Christ, has the address of Jessica's father's retirement home and is going to send him poisoned chocks. Fuck me. Misty is crazier than a shithouse antelope. And she says, I spoke to your father's nurse, Dolores. Kind of dim, but nice. Anyway, we got to talking. I used a fake name, obviously. And she promised to personally see to it that your dad gets his favourite dessert from his favourite daughter. Oh, fuck me. Fuck me. She's terrifying in this scene. Ah, oh, this episode is so good, dude. Jessica... Suitably intimidated by this little display, says that she was at Travis's house before he was killed, but he wouldn't talk to her. This is presumably how he got that expensive bottle of scotch, which, fuck, I hope we see that scene. Jessica was suspicious about his death, 
and reveals that Travis's bank account was closed after he died. Which is interesting, because did Travis have that much money? Because presumably he spent a lot of his plane settlement money on heroin, but hmm, I don't know. Where else did he get it from? Could he have been involved in another organization? Hmm. Illegal narcotics, perhaps? Well, I mean, possibly. Cut to Shauna waking up in bed with Adam next to her. Not to beat a dead horse, but fucking hell, these people are terrible at having affairs. Cut to a seemingly oblivious Jeff walking down the hall. And Shauna frantically tells Adam to hide in the closet and she goes back to bed. Jeff enters the room and says he didn't mean to wake her. Shauna remarks on him just getting back from the store now. He says that they had an early delivery, so the smartest thing was to stay. Uh, seems legit, as the kids used to say. <laughs> He's about to put his shirt in the closet. Oh no, that's where Adam is. Shauna tells him to just put it on the bed, and she says that she made herself some soup last night, which soup is nice. Jeff decides to take a shower, and Shauna offers to make them some eggs. Jeff is fucking grateful for this, which is cute. Uh, Shauna tells Adam to wait for 30 seconds after... He hears running water and then to run out. He says that he's never been in a French fast before. Uh, writers, as a debatably great man once said, pointing out your problems doesn't make them go away. And then, oh, oh, we cut away from that. To, oh, no. Oh, I hate this scene, dude. Kevin wakes up and discovers that his gun has been interfered with as he is short one bullet. He asks Nat, did you fuck around with my gun? <laughs> And then he's well, like, how you always make it like, you know, it's Christian Bale, Batman. That's voice. how he sounds, not really. Okay, but so does everybody else that <laughs> you do the voice for. I'm a, I'm a man of, like, five voices. Uh, that's uh, being slightly generous, even. Brother. Like, Natalie, what did you do? She, she jokes that she robbed a liquor store. Not the fucking time for humor, Nat. She says that she left to get some cigs, took it with her, and was fucking around with it in a park and fired it into the dirt, and that nobody got hurt. Jesus fucking Christ, when that is the story you tell that sounds less bad than what you actually did, that is how you know you're fucked up. Kevin says that he has to account for every round. Uh, listeners who are police folk or no police folk, is that actually true? If so, good system. Good I'm system. pretty sure they have to fill out reports on yeah. literally every bullet they bullet. Yeah, yeah. Kev asks her to show him where the gun went off, she doesn't remember where, and he asks... Were you high? Reasonable question. And she's like, no. And he's like, well, then why can't you fucking remember? Uh, poor Kevin. I love that dude. Kev says he's not sure if he believes her and asks her to tell him honestly. Did she commit a crime? She responds, no, which is a lie. Oh, man, this next bit. Alex Windham, who plays Kevin, is amazing in this scene. He deserves way more roles. He's a great actor. I hope that dude, you know, gets to be in a load of different shows and movies after this. Uh, he's like, you know, really thought that we had something. And I thought this was... And Nat is like, real? He's like, yeah, I thought this was fucking real. What the fuck is wrong with you? And Nat is like, oh, this is so horrible. I hate to break it to you, but we were just fucking. And your whole high school crush on me was really cute. But now it's just pathetic. Ouch. Nat. Way to rub the salt in. I get that you want to break up with him for his own good. To spare him from the dark path you're going down. And also because you don't want to be dating a cop as you do shady things. But... Really? You didn't need to be that cruel about it. Fucking hell. Like, as the great song says, but you didn't have to cut me off. Record like been up. Happened and everywhere. That's a you thing. I'm not charming in here. I didn't expect you to. 
Anyway. Well, that's good. You just seemed to be kind of looking at me like... No, no. It was more of a trying to gauge whether you remember said song. Anyway. Um, nah. Okay. And then Kevin's response to this is like a, fuck you. Fuck you. And leaves. Kev has a good sense of self-respect, which is good. You know, as much as, as much as I love Nat, I really do love her. She's one of my favorite characters. I can't exactly say that it's unreasonable for him to want to get out of that room. Nat looks really sad post this because despite whatever she claims she clearly does have strong feelings for him and was just doing that as a misguided attempt to spare his feelings that i don't think actually would have that result anyway oh the final few minutes of this episode are fucking insane out to the past shauna sees that harvey has left her a small carved wolf which oh pan up to the rafters where she hid her journal and the journal is missing uh, dun, dun, dun. oh fuck this bit Exactly oh. what Justin predicted. You left it in an obvious place, so it has now been found. Oh. Yeah. Jackie is reading it by lamplight, sobbing. Ella Pennell continues to be amazing. Oh, I felt so sorry for Jackie in this scene. She's just, like, sobbing and, like, trying to maintain enough composure to, like, physically turn the pages as she's crying. Oh, it's so sad. I wonder what verbiage was used. Like, what the specific phrasing, like, was sort of like, Dear Diary, today I slorped Jeff again. Sure hope Jackie doesn't find out. <laughs> Dear Diary, came home and finished my homework after a long evening of banging Jeff up the bum. Mm, been on the nose. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> anyway, see, that's the thing. It hurts her so much because, like, it's the betrayal, I think she's more upset with shauna than jeff like she feels shauna's betrayal more than jeff's like if jeff had just cheated on her with some random girl she would be upset but nowhere near as much like shauna is the older and in many ways closer relationship shauna is the bigger betrayal and then cut to oh fuck me fucking fuck me dude <laughs> the first time i watched this scene it emotionally destroyed me like no other in the show before or since and it still does even though i know the outcome a spill ah, 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 ah. we cut to ty in a tree waking up with a start just like at the beginning of the f in the present ah it's really good book ending she hears the sound of wolves howling and discovers that van's bone necklace is around her throat how intriguing she begins hearing her companions yelling for help she drops down to the ground on the ground Mari, Akila, and Misty are holding off some wolves with fire sticks. And, side note, these wolves are much better CGI'd. They look fine. They look much better than the deer. Yeah, they're fine. And Ty yells, where's Van? And you can really hear the, the tension and the worry and the sheer terror in her voice. Misty, also, you know, clearly horrified and freaked out, tells her that she's over there. Van is being fucking mauled by a wolf. Fuck, it's like dragging her sleeve. Ah, Ty attempts to make it retreat with the flare gun, but this doesn't work. It just sails past it. So she runs over with the axe and fucking eviscerates the wolf. Like, to the point of overkill. She's like, like a dozen times. She yeah. makes wine out of that wolf. Good old wolf wine. If wolf they, wine. If they really had presence of mind, they could have taken the carcass back with them. But like, it's understandable that they were thinking about other things, shall we say. Well, it started a whole new line of, you know, like wolf spirits wolf-based <laughs> spirits wolf wine oh, is tasmanian wolf we ice? haven't had that spirit here since 1960 i asked for wine <laughs> is tasmanian wolf blast made of actual wolves oh fuck be horrible anyway <clears throat> ty is a fucking badass and also kind of terrifying she runs over to van 
and pushes her over to reveal that her fucking jaw has been ripped open and you can see the inside of her teeth through her cheek. Well, the outside. That, the yeah, you can see her, her teeth through her mm. cheek. Fuck. to be an insufferable pedant. Uh, Derbit for the grace of God go I. Like, fuck me. Like, like literally, even talking about this is stressing me out. Because Van, don't I mention this? is my favorite character i really love her i think she is hilarious and you can see and, her face through her yes, face exactly hilarious and likable and funny and secretly sad and tragic and beautiful and but she's not dead she isn't dead we'll get to that but yeah she isn't dead but the others run over and are horrified by this ty doesn't absolutely jasmine's avoid is an absolutely amazing scream of rage and lamentation she's really giving some like Tony Collette in Hereditary after her daughter gets de decapitated via post. You know, she's in her bedroom going like, ah! Dad! Yeah, just wails yeah. for like three solid days. A side note, Hereditary is a fucking awesome movie and Tony Collette's performance in that movie is amazing. Anybody who thinks she's overacting in that movie is fuck off. Yep, definitely not overwrought, overdone, any of those that's, overworlds. That's how it is. That's how it is. It's just, you know, realistic. Ty, um, yeah, Ty screams and the episode ends. And after I watched this episode go live, you know, we were watching Jacob's Ladder and Progeny while I was in a state of insensate grief. Like that old Tumblr post, don't talk to me, my favorite character just died. And I was like, oh man. And I have to say, I went through like all of the stages of grief. The first I was denied, I was like, no, there's no way she could be dead. And I was like, bargaining. And I was like, oh, maybe she's not actually dead and it's like i began to accept it as sort of like well at least i can take the silver lining that she doesn't have to live and see everybody do horrifying things and do horrifying things and then the next day i looked up somebody on reddit said like oh yeah van is totally pictured alive after this point in the trailer so i was like what and i was like no come on she's gonna be alive could she i can't couldn't allow myself to hope but i was like no no give me this just give me this it was like it could be a vision or something it couldn't be real but no <laughs> and lo and behold in the next episode she's alive which whew, whew, i am so happy that she was not even okay like i know i love her as a character in a like very subjective sense and like obviously you know maybe you as a viewer not as into her as i am that's totally fine but like objectively speaking she has a lot of potential for drama and characterization with the story and the way the story is going and her interactions to other characters so she is a character that just in a pure writing utilitarian sense you want to keep around also just yes. have to clarify yes. did that occurrence in any way influence your rating of jacob's ladder as a movie it is undeniable that it might have Mm. because i'm going to be honest with you all i really remember in that movie is the guy's current girlfriend being an absolute shithead and destroying his pictures of his wife and son which is so fucked up and him going to the party where everybody's a horrifying creature and george can george constanza being his lawyer and danny io being a chiropractor yep and it turning out and that you it, have your own yep. theories on chiropractic <laughs> I mean, let's is not... that even a word no but it should be and let's not alienate that demographic anyway the the fucking it turns out he's just spoiler alert ish for the movie jacob's ladder bleeding out in a field in vietnam the whole time so yeah i i honestly i honestly think we should watch that movie again so i can give it a fairer shake when i'm not losing my mind with grief i love that movie man it's it's yeah. probably up there in my yeah. top 10 I'm, I'm sure i'll i'm sure i'll give it a high rating when i have the opportunity to appreciate it more i hope so though yeah. i don't hold my breath no I also, 12 Monkeys, I think I should give another shake. I reckon you should. Yeah. 
Anyway. I know you're not much a fan of uh, no. Brad Pitt. I'm, or, I'm, I'm not. He's, or he's, even Bruce Willis in a big I, way. Again, neither of them are my favourite actors, but they have been good in some movies. Yeah. I'll it, say that. I'll definitely pay that. They've had their lols. They've yeah. had their, you know, reverse lols. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> but we should rewatch Jacob's Ladder. Probably not Progeny, though, eh? Nah. I mean... <laughs> Maybe. As Yuzna goes, there are better ones. Yeah. Have you seen if he's in, if he's in Society by Brian Yuzna? I. It's damn I good. Think so. It's damn good, George. Anyway, bleh, irrelevant tangent. It is almost impossible to not think that Van is dead upon a first watch of this episode. In any event, Jane having a good one. Uh, my poor baby. Anyway. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. And that the is face what... heals up a bit and it's all fine. Spoiler alert, astonishingly well. Anyway. Anyway, that is the end of this episode. As I said, an absolute fucking belter of an episode. Just consistently great start to finish. Amazing character interactions, amazing action sequences. Just think it's really hammering home the point that things are getting really serious in the season, I think. Yeah, you can tell they're hammering home the climax. This is the... Lol. This is the best episode since the first two. Matthew, do you have any other thoughts on this episode? I think we should admit this question. (laughs) One day, I feel like we've spent our entire yeah. time talking about our thoughts on the episode. And True. Then you ask me if I have any yeah. more thoughts. You don't have anything left in the tank, you know. No. The well's gone dry. You know what? Maybe we will abolish it's, that it's question. Gone. It's all gone, Justin. You, you know what, listener? That was the last time you shall hear that question. <laughs> we are removing it. Anyway, episode over. Matthew, thank you very much for doing this with me. Yeah. Uh, a great being had, and yeah, uh, have fun you weird dudes out there who like listening to us talk about weird shit weird dudes is a gender neutral and affectionate term yeah yeah you can call a woman sir that's what i'm basing this on (laughs) you can if you're uh marcy from peanuts anyway that's all for today so it's good night from me and it's good night from him that is all for today be well and remember we're not out of the woods yet Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free warbyparker.com slash covered.